Well, welcome back to our study of Ecclesiastes. As you know, we're getting very close to the end of the book. We're actually in the last chapter already, and halfway through that. So we're moving right along. And you know uh, that the last time uh, we got together, we uh, looked at the tenth uh, piece of advice that the teacher is giving in his document, in his book, and we titled that, Seize the Day, Seize the Day. And we um, identified three things that the teacher um, was trying to say in Seize the Day, and that is, number one, be generous, which we can see from the first uh, half of chapter 11, and I bet that was a surprise uh, for some of you that that verse, which um, has historically been viewed as something completely different than what we uh, discovered, uh, was, in fact, uh, was in fact different, and um, he's talking about giving for quite a few of the verses there, in fact, all the way through verse 6 from verse 1 through verse 6 of chapter 11. It's all about giving. And he even uh, uh, addresses uh, the kind of excuses that people give for not for not being uh, generous and not giving. And then we saw the second thing he was saying under Seize the Day. Um, he was saying, enjoy life. Enjoy life. And you can see that pretty, uh, <clears throat> pretty simply in um, in verses uh, 7 through 10 of chapter 11. Enjoy life. And uh, you have things like, the light is pleasant, if a man should live many years, rejoicing man during your childhood, and remove vexation. Um, in other words, make an effort to be content in what God has given you. And um, um, so that was number two. And then the third thing we saw under the heading of Seize the Day, um, the third thing he is saying, attempting to say and, and saying in uh, under Seize the Day, begins with chapter 12 and runs through the first eight verses. And we gave that the division of Aging is Life's Final Lesson. And the reason it's a lesson of course, it's final because there's not much more to learn after you're in the grave. But it's also a lesson because um, everything the teacher has said from chapter 2, verse 24 onward has been his lesson to us, what he's trying to tell us about how to live life in the face of inequity, in the face of... Um, harsh things and inhospitable, you know, the inhospitable world and all that. And he's now saying, if you haven't got the lesson by now, when you are old, you'll have your last uh, crack at it. You'll have your last opportunity to really understand um, the, 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 the thesis and the thesis abstract that he gave us early on, which is, life is broken. Life is broken. That was really more the thesis abstract. Um, I mean, how could you not, 
Even if you are successful at ignoring and pretending that life is not broken, that there's not something wrong with life, that it's below man, that it's um, not, you know, it's it's not uh, um, commensurate with man. It's not up to the to man's potential, the life that he's been given to live on earth. If you haven't figured it out by the time you begin to really age toward your final days, then those final days will will definitely teach you, because death is the final outcome of the broken life. And to re recapitulate, or I'm sorry, not re, uh, re to recap, um, that came from the fall. Uh, we know that from elsewhere in the Bible, but we also know it from Ecclesiastes itself, and we did point that out. Man fell, and that is he sinned, he turned in rebellion uh, toward God, and sinned and fell, and that falling corrupted the world, and God, in his infinite wisdom, truly, truly wonderful, unique, holy wisdom, turned that into an opportunity for man to understand that God is and that God wants fellowship with him. And that's what we um, explained when we talked about the riddle. The riddle, the riddle of life, the seven points in the riddle of life. That's uh, in our previous uh, messages. So now we're up to uh, verse 9 in chapter 12. And we see, we see just, uh, what is it, six verses here, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14. We see just six verses. And what we have here is what we're going to call the teacher's final plea. The teacher's final plea. And what I mean by that is he's saying, this is your last shot. This is the last thing I'm going to say. I'm going to close out this book. I'm going to close out this document. And I'm going to try to zero in on what, um, what I want your response to be. And the fact that you need to respond. Let's go ahead and read that, verses 9 through uh, 14. In addition to being a wise man, the preacher also taught the people knowledge. And he pondered, searched out, and arranged many proverbs. The preacher sought to find delightful words and to write down words of truth correctly. The words of wise men are like goads, and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. They are given by one shepherd. But beyond this, my son, be warned. The writing of many books is endless, and excessive devotion to books is wearying to the body. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Now, like much of Ecclesiastes, it's just too simple to read a passage like this and just get a surface uh, and, and consequently negative interpretation. And uh, as you know, we've been pushing back against that the whole time, you know, all, all the lessons we've, we've, we've been given. And um, that's not what he's saying here. Let's, let's take three, let's take, let's take the six verses into, in, into a part, take it apart, and put it into three verses. Or, I'm sorry, three um, divisions. And the first one, under this 
uh, under this, uh, the teacher's final plea, is he's saying these are words of truth. These are, that's number one. These are words of truth. He says that, doesn't he? He says, in addition, verse 9, in addition to being a wise man, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, and he pondered, searched out, and arranged many proverbs. The teacher sought to find delightful words and to write words of truth correctly. He's saying this is the, the he, he's saying this is the best advice you're ever going to get. In fact, he'll uh, come back to that in a couple of verses later. But he's saying these are words of truth. They are real. They are better than anything else. This is this is God's words to us. Is what he's saying. These are good. These are not their average kind of words. Now. Look at what he says here. He says uh, in verse 11, the words of wise men are like goads. Goads. Um, obviously, in an ag agrarian society, this was something that was very, very well known. Today, not so much. But if we extrapolate a little bit and, and kind of keep it in the context, what we're seeing here is he's saying, he's saying I want to provoke you. I want to provoke you. Let these words, let the things that I'm saying to you, let them provoke, let them stir you up, let them get a response from you, is what he's saying. And then you see the word nails in that same verse, verse 11. These collections are like well-driven nails. Well, or masters of these collections, are like well-driven nails. I think there he's saying that the truth you're being faced with is being planted in your heart. You won't be able to not respond. You'll respond one way, or you'll respond to the other way, but you are going to be affirmed and firmed and um, sealed, if you like, in your response. And he's, and you know, much of the New Testament says that, that you need to make a response to God and not responding is itself a response. You do seal your own fate. You do, you do, um, you do a lot by how you respond to the Lord Jesus Christ. The truth you are faced with, it's been planted, and it's going to be there. It's going to be. Uh, it, it'll actually speak against you should you choose not to believe it. So then, the second thing I think um, that he is telling us, verse twelve. Beyond this, my son, be warned. The writing of many books is endless, and excessive devotion to books is wearying to the body. He's saying this is the best advice you're ever going to get. Because not all words are good. Most are useless. Most words are useless. Because they're ungodly. Most of the things that people have had to say on how to live life are harmful, let alone you know, not any good, they're, they're actually harmful. And um, that's what he says here. And then verse 13, The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. We've talked about uh, the fear of God before, but in a nutshell, fearing God is knowing our place before him. Knowing who he is, and knowing who we are, and our place before him. 
Another way to come about understanding is, and this is only really going to help the people who, who've read the Bible uh, a little, and that is if you look at places in the Proverbs and in the Psalms where it talks about the fear of man, like there's a proverb that says the fear of man is a trap. The fear of, well, what is the fear of man? Once we understand what the fear of man is, that'll help us understand what the fear of God is. And guess what? Everyone knows what the fear of man is. It's automatic. You know that what the fear of man is, is caring about what people think. Now, you know, if you know anything about, oh, how words were used. And maybe you, maybe you don't know this. Maybe a lot of people don't know this. But the way words were used in older times, such as the word fear, we have changed that word in modern times. Basically, uh, basically, probably beginning with the era of psychology and how it became larger and larger in society as a, as a concept, uh, that idea of fear began to change. It began to morph and have a different meaning. But before that, for eons, the word did not mean what it means today. Today we, th we think of phobia, you know, a, a fawning, uh, tragic, uh, dissembling, uh, you know, debilitating, you know, feeling or, or, or condition. And that's not what the Bible means when it says fear. The Bible uses the word fear in the old sense, which means, well, some Bible versions put the word reference, and that is not bad. I think it's incomplete, and I think it's a little bit watered down, but it's, but it's at least moving in the right direction. Reverence. Another way to say it, though, and I think this is very useful and very helpful, is think of the fear of man is caring too much about what men think. Uh, some wise, wise sage somewhere has said that the fear of man is living to an audience of many living to an audience of many. Well, let's take that, the fear of, of man, and now let's move it over to the fear of God. The fear of God, then, the biblical definition of the fear of man, we know now, now the fear of God. The fear of God is caring about what God thinks in preference to man. You could take the midwives in Genesis when they were in Egypt, who it says feared God and disobeyed the Egyptian king. Um, you can take um, several other uh, instances of the use of the fear of God uh, in Scripture, and you can see that it, what it means is caring about what God thinks more than you care about what anybody else thinks. Or, if you like, living to an audience of one. Now, I didn't say this was an easy thing to do, but the Bible describes people over and over and over again who fear God, and we are admonished and exhorted to fear God. So he starts here, he says, uh, verse 13, the conclusion, when all, else, uh, is, when all has been heard, is fear God. Fear God. Care about what God thinks and keep his commandments. What's he saying? What's he saying? He's saying, those of you who haven't made up your mind, whether to let God be God, whether to let him be the sovereign of the universe and of all time and all space, 
the master of everything, the creator of everything, the ultimate source and the ultimate end of everything. If you can't give him his due, if you haven't made up your mind, you're being called, you're being called to humble yourself before God and realize who you are and realize who he is. And you know what? When we see instances, many of them in the Old Testament, but a few in the New as well, when we see instances of someone who has suddenly feared, you know, suddenly been swept up in the fear of God, it, again, it doesn't mean phobia. It doesn't mean, you know, this, this, you know, fawning, you know, awful, horrible thing. It means knowing who God is. When you see that in Scripture, you see people falling on their face. Yes, falling on their face. You see it in Isaiah chapter 6, and you see it in many places, where suddenly the person knows they're in the presence of God, and they're overwhelmed with the immeasurable, holy, eternal difference between God and them, and it just ruins them. In fact, that's what, that's what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 6. He says, I am ruined. I am totally dissolved into nothing before you. So the writer of Ecclesiastes, the teacher, is saying in, in verse 13, Fear God and keep his commandments. Because this applies to everyone. That's the third thing he's said now. And what he's really saying is, take God seriously. But don't take life seriously. Take God seriously, but don't put all your all your marbles, <laughs> all your eggs in the basket of life. Don't count too much on life. Don't worship life. Don't count on life. Count on God. After all the teacher has said in all these 12 chapters of Ecclesiastes, isn't this almost a summation? Isn't it? It comes very close to being a summation of everything he said. That God is the one that wants your attention. You shouldn't be paying attention to life. It's really a hard-hitting thing once you begin to, 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 to visualize it and, and, and conceptualize it. And then in verse 14, the last verse, he says, For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Now, He's not threatening. It sounds like a threat, doesn't it? It's not a threat. Once again, if you regard it as that, you're, you're, you're not getting beyond the superficial. Think about everything, or at least some of the things, you know, think about some of the things that the teacher has said in this book, or even in the last chapter. What he's saying is, you will realize when you come to die when, when the end of life is on the horizon, it's coming near and you can feel it and you can see it and you can, you know it and all the things you've lost. And he describes all those things you've lost in chapter, um, in the first half of chapter 12. The five senses and, and just all kinds of things as you die, you know, as you, as you get toward death. He says, realize as you come to these things, that this is the final lesson about God, you know, about life being broken. 
But it really is the, the hardest hitting part because you can no longer pretend. You can no longer pretend that life isn't broken because suddenly you realize that God is not only in charge of life, He's also in charge of death. He's in charge of it. He's in charge of it. It's His bailiwick. It's His purview. He decides. Do you remember that? Back in chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes? When we were told that in very plain language? Back in chapter 3, where it says God does everything uh, in the right timing and all that. And then he says in verse 2 of chapter 3, a time to give birth and a time to die. God is saying right off the bat, before you even get into these eight verses of describing God's sovereignty, his master uh, position, his, his, his mastery over life, that's what these eight verses are in chapter 3, he begins by saying, I decide about birth and I decide about death. He's the master of death. That is, your time of life and your life in every minuscule aspect is determined by him. Is determined by him. You may or may not have heard of this verse, but there's a verse over in Hebrews that uh, tags into that. Chapter 9 of Hebrews. Chapter 9 and verse 27. Almost the end of the chapter. Hebrews 9, 27. Inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once and after this comes judgment. It's appointed unto man. In other words, God has decreed. Guess what? It's not a stretch to say before you were born. In fact, before any of your ancient ancestors were born. God had planned your life. That's what it says. And that's what the uh, writer of Ecclesiastes, the teacher, uh, has said. Okay, what I want to do, we're at the end of the book, but I want to spend a little more time, uh, probably this time and next time, in uh, thinking about this book as a whole. I want to I get the big picture. And we'll do that uh, at least at first, by going back to the outline. I don't know if, if any of you have downloaded the outline um, that is on the church website, but there is an outline. And the outline says, and I think I gave it verbally in one of the messages as well, but here it is. Here's the outline. It's seven parts. It is, number one, the teacher's thesis abstract. Abstract just means a succinct summary, succinct and, and uh, pointed summary. So the teacher's thesis abstract, that's number one, and we see that in chapter 1, verses 2 through 11. Number two, the teacher himself, the teacher himself, in other words, about him. And you see that in chapter 1, verse 1, and also chapter 1, verse 12, and then again in chapter 12, verses 8 and 10, I mean 8 through 10 which we just read. And then number three, number three in the outline, and we've gone through all this, the teacher's research. Or you could call it meditation. You could call it meditation. And the teacher's meditation, 
or research is chapter 1 verse 12 through chapter 2 verse 23. Number four in the outline is the teacher's thesis. Now before we had a thesis abstract, now we have thesis. In other words, he's going to expand on and explain his point. And the beginning of that is chapter 2 verse 24. As you may recall, that is the pivot point in the beginning of the book. Because up until that verse, up until verse 24 of chapter 2, the teacher has kind of kind of gotten into a discuss discussion with the reader as to harsh, how harsh life is. And what's the answer? And he doesn't answer it really. He just talks about how harsh life is and how how irregular and irreconcilable and meaningless. Some of your Bible versions actually say meaningless. And then by verse 24 of chapter 2, he's changed. And he has gone and put away all, well, put away the subject of the brokenness of life as a, as a subject. And he's now talking about what to do about it. And he, he will bring up the vanity of life a few more times, but he's, he's really done with um, commiserating. He's done with whining, if you will. <laughs> um, and that's, um, that's the teacher's thesis, chapter 2, verse 24, through chapter 3, verse 15. And what he's saying there is that from birth to death, it is all choreographed by God. And he will go on to say that accepting this is the only way to live life in a godly way, in a meaningful godly way. And then the fifth division uh, in the outline is the teacher's complaint. And another way to say that is the teacher being devil's advocate. And that's what he's doing there. And that's chapter 3, verse 16 through verse uh, through chapter 4, verse 16. So 316 through 416. And there he raises two hypothetical questions or pushbacks, if you will. Now, this is not unusual in Scripture. You should understand that this is done in many places. And Paul, for one who wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament, this was one of the mechanisms or tools that Paul used a lot. He would raise an argument as if he was anticipating the argument in his readers, and then he would answer the argument. Well, that's what the teacher's done here. And again, that's from 3.16 through 4.16, and he raises two arguments. And the first one is God's choreography, or choreography, <laughs> Uh, can I even say it? Choreography. Or his orchestration, if you like. That's easier to say. It seems wrong to us. God's orchestration seems all wrong to us. And that's, that's, that's a pushback. That's, he's anticipating that someone would say, Okay, teacher, you said that God set this up to be kind of a nasty environment so that we would think about him and we would choose him we would be at our wits end and not able to fix our own environment. And we would, we would think of him and choose him. And the person who's pushing back is saying, but, but God's not really running the world properly, is he? See, that's the pushback. God's not running things right. That's not the way I would do it. How often have we said this? Even Christians at least think this. You know you do. And he's, he's giving this, this hypothetical 
objection to all that's been said up until this time, which a lot of it is God's sovereignty, God's right to do as, he's, as, he, please, as he pleases. And he will answer it. He did answer it. And then the second one is uh, the second pushback, the second thing that an arguer or an objector might say is, well, wait a minute. Uh, why is there so much evil? Why is there so much injustice? Why are good people treated badly and bad people can tr you know treated goodly? And and for that for all that matter, there doesn't seem to be any difference between men and animals in more ways than one. But the way that he really describes, or the or the objector describes in chapter four, is hey the way animals die is the same way people die. How can you tell me that they're any different? Well, he'll answer that one also, and uh, go back to the to the to the previous message, and you'll and you'll see that. And then number six, the sixth uh, uh, piece of the outline, we call it the teacher's advice. And another way to say it is his sermon. And some of you know, you have heard of, uh, you've heard of the biblical uh, account of one of Jesus' sermons called the Sermon on the Mount. I believe that's Matthew 6 or 7. I should know that, but I don't. I don't remember. But uh, you've heard of the Sermon on the Mount in the New Testament, in the Gospels. Well, it occurs to me that the teacher's sermon, possibly Solomon, we don't know, but the teacher's sermon, uh, sermon might be called the Sermon in the Muck. The Sermon in the Muck. Because that's what this is. He's saying, how do you navigate life? How, knowing now that God has done this, and he's done it in love, and he's done it in wisdom, and he's done it in, in, in hope in the final day, when all th everything will be changed, how do you live in the meantime? How do you get through life? And that's what he's t his ten sermon points are all about. And as you know, we went through all those, and in the last message we did the last one, the tenth, which was seize the day. And of course, now we're at the final plea. And the final plea is um, chapter 12, verses 9 through uh, 14. So there you are. There's the, uh, there's the, uh, the outline. And in case you're unsure of where to find uh, these recorded messages, I just want to point out to you that the church website, which is Mayor Community Church. Dot com, just like it sounds, M-A-Y-E-R, that's actually someone's name, Mayor, the founder of the city of Mayor, or, or town of Mayor, MayorCommunityChurch.com. And when you go there, at the very top of the page, you'll see uh, a header of links, and the header link called Messages, you click on that, and you'll see a lot of messages, a lot of recorded messages, and what you want to do is scroll down on your computer to almost the bottom, if not the bottom. I think it might be the very bottom. But if it's not, it's very near the bottom. And you'll see the list of the Ecclesiastes series and all the, re all the recorded messages uh, are there. Okay, it's going to be a short one this time. Uh, we're going to finish off, uh, close off here. And what we'll do next time is we will look at where the gospel is in Ecclesiastes. How can we find, you know, if Jesus said 
that the Old Testament was full of him. And he said that to two different people. He said to the Pharisees, who he was recriminating for it, he was saying, look, you, you are experts on the Old Testament uh, uh, books, but you have, you have no belief that I am in there, and I am. And then he said it to the believers as well. He said it to his, uh, his disciples and his followers. He said, you know, and, he, and it said, the, 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 the text actually says, the New Testament uh, text says, that Jesus opened the Old Testament books, and he mentions the law and the uh, prophets and the Psalms. And you may or may not know that those um, those names weren't specific names for specific books. They were names for groups of books. The law was what they called the Pentateuch. Uh, we'd call it the Pentateuch today. The, um, the Jews would say Torah. Um, the Psalms represented all the wisdom books. Uh, basically five books, of which Ecclesiastes is one. And then the prophets uh, would, of course, be um, the ones that are, that are known as prophets. You know, Isaiah and Joel and, and all those. Uh, but also a couple more, because the Jews actually considered Ruth and um, a couple others as part of the prophets. So, what am I saying? I'm saying that Jesus said that it is, it is not only legitimate, it is biblical and it is godly to see him in every scripture passage, in every Bible book. Now, it can be more difficult in the Old Testament, although there's some places where he shines very brightly, but there's some places like Ecclesiastes where he doesn't shine that brightly. It's, he's pretty, pretty veiled in Ecclesiastes. But I think we'll make a case, we're going to try, to make a case for allusions. Not illusions, but allusions. In other words, alluding to uh, Jesus in uh, Ecclesiastes. And uh, we'll do that. And then we'll probably... Um, there are ten of them, by the way. There are ten jumping-off points in Ecclesiastes to the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we'll look at uh, what probably is one of the more powerful links to the Gospel in Ecclesiastes. And that's already we've already mentioned that, and that's Romans chapter 8. We'll look at some passages in Romans 8 which have direct bearing, uh, direct linking, uh, link, linkages or linking to uh, Ecclesiastes. So stay tuned. We'll do that next time. And uh, in the meantime, believe God.